Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, yeah. how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hope you had a terrific weekend. Thanks for stopping by for two hours of local sports talk here on WSBT Radio. Also, streaming live at WSBTRadio.com on our free WSBT Radio app. And also, we have a video feed available right now thanks to the Twitch app. And I'm sporting probably my 15-year-old classic Budweiser's weekday sports beat sweatshirt that has held up very well through the years. Eight minutes after five o'clock, my name is Darren Pritchett. And coming up on Budweiser's weekday sports beat tonight, we have two full hours. And it's a Monday, and the minor leagues are off. So, no South Bend Cubs baseball tonight. They're at Cedar Rapids tomorrow. We have our hat trick of opening topics, as always, to get our program started. Hartman's helpers. Big Ten football and the PGA Tour merger with the PIF are amongst the topics. Also coming up later on in this hour of the program, we go back into the archives. Back in 2020, Fighting Irish Media put together a series of interviews with A.D. Jack Swarbrick being the host, and one of his guests was Pete Bovacqua, then of NBC Sports Group, and of course, Early next year, he will become the new athletic director at the University of Notre Dame. So we're going to play back a couple of sound bites from that conversation. Pete's opinion of the Notre Dame-NBC partnership, the power of NBC, and what Notre Dame means to him. He was 
a Notre Dame student and walk on to the football team. So we'll hear from Pete Bavacqua from that interview back in 2020 later on this hour. We've got our Twitter question of the day ready to roll. You can check it out right now on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. And, of course, we'll bring you the question coming up in a little bit, but you can vote right now on my Twitter account. In the 6 o'clock hour, the five biggest winners of the weekend. You're going to hear from Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze as he talks about the biggest difference he's seeing with the offense now compared to last year at this time when he was installing his offense in Chicago. What has he seen from Justin Fields? His thoughts on Chase Claypool, the former Irish receiver, being more comfortable this year after his midseason trade from the Steelers to the Bears last year and also some thoughts on the impact that another former Notre Dame football player had on last year's team, tight end Cole Komet. And we will wrap up the program with Sizzler. It was a 14-6 and week last week on Sizzler, and we're 19-9 for the month of June, so we're off to a hot start. It has been a hotter segment than the weather outside today, to say the least. All right, so that's what we have coming up. Well, today marks 75 days until the Notre Dame football season opener and week zero of the college football season over in Dublin across the pond. The Irish kick off the 2023 campaign by facing the United States Naval Academy. That's on August the 26th. The Saturday kickoff will be at 2.30 Eastern time. And, of course, you can hear this game and every Fighting Irish football game once again on WSBT Radio, just looking ahead 75 days until this matchup. We have plenty of coverage coming your way on WSBT Radio. Tim and Jim with the Legacy Heating and Air Game Day Show, the interview show. will air from 9 to 11. We've got Budweiser's Game Day Sports Beat from 11 until 1.30. And then at 2.30, kickoff of Notre Dame Navy with the post-game show, probably... It'll be getting started in about 75 days and 45 minutes, give or take a few minutes. So 75 more days until the start of Notre Dame football. Of course, the NFL, probably right around 85, 88 days to go until their new season gets underway. Still a lot of drama coming up in the NFL. Saquon Barkley, is he going to get re-signed by the New York Giants? Might he sit out this year? DeAndre Hopkins the all-pro wide receiver cut by Arizona. Where is he going to end up? There's some reports he's going to visit the New England Patriots this week. Can you believe the Patriots have not had a 1,000-yard receiver since 2019, and that was Julian Edelman. It's been a while up there in Foxborough to have that dynamic wide receiver. And you could argue they've been missing a dynamic quarterback since that TB12 guy went down to Tampa to win a Super Bowl championship. Plenty of football talk on the way. But right now, 12 minutes after 5 o'clock on this Monday, June the 12th of 2023, the program officially begins with our hat trick of opening topics on 960 AM WSBT. We start with Notre Dame football. Now, this is not going to be scientific in any way. We're just throwing out numbers just to get a little idea what Sam Hartman was all about last year as the starting quarterback at Wake Forest leading into 
being the starting quarterback for the Fighting Irish in 75 days. I was just kind of curious to see the distribution of the football in that Wake Forest offense. Now, Wake Forest offense, Notre Dame's offense, there's a lot of differences. So we take all this with a grain of salt, but I was just kind of curious where Sam delivered the football last year. Now, we'll say this up front, Wake Forest strength was their wide receiving core. A.T. Perry could have started for most college football teams. He was a terrific, dynamic wide receiver for Hartman to throw the football to. So, again, keep in mind, different offenses. And there are 30 completions involved in these numbers that are not Sam Hartman's. There wasn't a way to break those down, so we'll just throw those in. So the top five pass catchers for Sam Hartman and Wake Forest last year were all wide receivers. Top five. Led by Perry, who had 81 catches for 1,096 yards and 11 touchdowns. Who could be someone like A.T. Perry on this Notre Dame football team this fall? Now, I'm not projecting 81 catches for any single Notre Dame football player. It would appear right now it's going to be an offense where the football is going to be spread out to numerous pass catchers. But what a season for Perry. He and Hartman were a dynamic duo with those 81 catches, 1,906 receiving yards, and 11 touchdowns. The number two pass catcher for Wake Forest was Donovan Green, 37 catches for 642, six touchdowns. I'm throwing out these numbers because you can see how Sam moved the ball all over the place, including his touchdown throws. Jamal Banks, third on Wake Forest in catches, or actually with receiving yards, excuse me, 42 catches, 636 yards, nine touchdowns. Second on the team in catches was Taylor Marin with 47 for 575 yards. He had nine touchdown catches. And the fifth leading pass catcher for Wake Forest and Sam Hartman last year was Kashawn Williams. He had 39 catches for 553 and a touchdown. So the first five leading pass catchers for the 2022 Demon Deacons were wide receivers. The first non-wide receiver, sixth on the team in catches, was a tight end by the name of Blake Whitehart. 24 catches for 295 and three scores. Number seven on the team, Justice Ellison, a running back. He had six catches for 62 yards. I love the way... There wasn't just one guy catching all the passes from Hartman. As you had four individuals with at least six receiving touchdowns last year. If Hartman has a big offensive season with a lot of touchdown catches, I could really see that type of production being thrown all over this offense from Hartman. Maybe not one guy getting to 10, but you can have a lot of guys with multiple And I mean multiple touchdown catches. So 84% of the completions went to wide receivers in that Wake Forest offense last year. Only 15 completions to running backs. And I think that's going to be an area we're going to see a drastic difference in the distribution of the football from Sam Hartman. You have running backs that can do damage coming out of the backfield. Good hands. Shifty, 
powerful, make plays in the passing game. Audric Estime, Jadarian Price. We didn't see him in a game last year, but we remember the long catch and run he had in the blue goal game. There's a lot of good options coming out of the backfield to catch the football. So that 15 completions to running backs, he might go by that number by the second or third game wearing the Irish gold helmet. Now just talking about the distribution of the football by Hartman last year got me thinking, how would we rank the top targets for Hartman this year? Now this is really hard to do because we're not quite sure exactly, specifically, Jared Parker's offense, how it's going to compare to his predecessor, Tommy Reese. I would have to imagine the foundation of the offense stays the same with Parker Tweaks. So we'll see how that plays out. Plus, you have a host of players looking to gain playing time at the skill positions. We feel like we have a good idea how it's all going to play out. But if you sat down and wrote down the top five targets for Hartman this year, and we had a room full of Irish fans, I have a feeling we would have a lot of different combinations. Because there isn't that dominant Michael Floyd wide receiver, Jeff Samarja, Golden Tate. If there is one of those guys, they haven't shown us yet. It's been under wraps. But if it happens, more than happy to see it unfold before our eyes this year. But I think we can all agree there isn't that alpha wide receiver, at least what we have seen of them so far. That's why it just has a feeling the ball could go to numerous individuals this year. You don't have that alpha tight end either. Michael Mayer now with the Las Vegas Raiders. And there's a lot of tight ends looking for playing time, but due to injuries, we didn't see everybody in the spring. I think most of us in the media feel like Mitchell Evans has a leg up, but we'll see when everybody gets healthy in fall camp who steps forward. So I took a stab at it. If I wrote down five names tomorrow, it might be totally different. And I don't know if I'm even close to being right. But top targets for Hartman this year. I wrote down one, two, three, four, five. One and two, I went back and forth. I've got Jaden Thomas, one, Tobias Merriweather, two. I think Merriweather has a breakout year for the Fighting Irish. But I put Thomas first. There was good chemistry, and I hate to pin anything on the blue goal game, so please take it with a grain of salt. But from what we saw, Hartman and Thomas had good chemistry. They hooked up on a touchdown play in that blue goal game. So I went Thomas one, Merriweather two. Then it gets really difficult. I put Chris Tyree third, assuming he's going to be a slot receiver. Jaden Greathouse looked good. He might get his opportunities as well. But they're not moving Tyree to wide receiver to have him standing around and hold a clipboard, I wouldn't think. Unless someone beats him out, of course. But So I put Thomas one, Merriweather two, Tyree three, Estime four, and then Mitchell Evans five. That's my top targets for Hartman this fall. Ask me again in a week. 
They might be in a different order. There might be different personnel in there. But as a homework assignment, if you love Fighting Irish football, give it a shot. Who would you say are, are Hartman's top five targets? It's not that easy. At least I didn't think so. I went back and forth. I had scribbles, added names, subtracted names, and eventually ended up with these five. And in case you're wondering, Wake Forest scored 469 points last year. Notre Dame with 10 games of Drew Pine. They still had 413 points. All things considered, not too shabby. Hat trick of opening topics, number two at 521. Late last week, the Big Ten released their conference schedules for 24 and 25. They did not go any further than those two years, I think because they want to see this play out. And before they go all in on this schedule for the next few years, let's watch it play out for two years. And if we need to tweak the system, we can tweak the system. So all we have, the conference schedules for teams the next two years. And I picked out four teams just for fun. You look at Indiana, the Indiana Ball Club. Man, when you're at the bottom of the Big Ten, the schedule looks a whole lot harder compared to if you're Michigan and Ohio State. So Indiana, you look at 2024, their home slate is fairly doable. Michigan State, they seem to be down right now. Nebraska, Matt Rule, the new head coach. Let's see how quickly he can get things going in Huskerland. You got Northwestern, who was really bad last year. And Wisconsin has a new head coach. Badgers have not been as good the last couple of years, but let's see how quickly they might be able to turn things around with Luke Fickle now in charge of that Wisconsin program. You look at Indiana's road slate next year in this newly designed Big Ten with nine conference games, and who knows, they may go back to eight at some point and copy the SEC, but for now it's nine. And in 24, Indiana has five road games. Maryland, probably going to have to score points to beat Maryland. Minnesota, Penn State, who's really on the rise right now. You got the bucket game at Purdue, and boy, does this look strange. This is going to take a little while to get used to. One of the conference games for Indiana on the road, going to the Rose Bowl to take on UCLA. The Purdue Boilermakers Big Ten schedule next year. They've got five at home and four on the road, and this schedule seems Similar to Indiana with a couple of tweaks. Purdue with a new head coach. I'd be really curious to see what the Boilermakers look like going forward. But they've got home games against Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. So that's got an Indiana feel to it, their schedule. And on the road, those four road games, Nebraska, Northwestern, Penn State and the Boilermakers go to the L.A. Coliseum to take on the University of Southern California. 
Now let's go to another team. Let's look at the Big Ten schedule from one of the top teams' perspective. Jim Harbaugh's Michigan Wolverines. Next year, four home games and five road games for the Mason Blue. So for Michigan, they get Maryland at home, doable. Northwestern at home, very, very doable. Penn, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong schedule. Let me start over. Michigan at home gets Illinois, Ohio State. They get Rutgers. And every time that this team gets a first down, you're going to probably hear this. Or every time they get two yards, you're going to hear this. We're used to it around these parts, Michigan fans. Every two years, we get this song shoved down our throat. I guess the first down is dun 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 dun. I got it mixed up. But anyway, you'll know this song by heart since USC's in the Big Ten and USC will bring, I'm sure, their band to the big house so you can hear this song 67 times during the ball game. Michigan on the road. Let's see. They've got Maryland, Michigan State, that rivalry thing continuing, Minnesota, UCLA at the Rose Bowl, and Wisconsin. And finally, our friends from USC. Good to see the Notre Dame-USC rivalry will continue. But in the Big Ten slate for their first year in 24, USC gets five home games and four road games. Now, the traditional rivalry between USC and UCLA will continue every year. And in their first year, They're home against Maryland, Northwestern, Penn State, Purdue, and UCLA. Now, this is quite the road trip for USC. There are four road games. If you're one of these four teams playing USC, you're hoping you get them in November. That would be perfect. Make those boys from Southern California enjoy some of that fresh cold air get it into their lungs it's good for them i think some of those usc players might learn about some of the sense of a farm by going to some of these places this will be a definitely a new experience for them they leave the smog for the hogs all right so usc their first year in the big 10 They'll travel to Champaign-Urbana to take on Illinois, and I can tell you this, if the wind is in one direction and you're sitting inside Memorial Stadium, there is a farm down the road that sometimes might come into play. Hey, home field advantage at its best against USC. They also go to Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin. So USC, welcome to the Big Ten by going to some places that some of these guys never thought they'd be going to, Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Our third and final hat trick of opening topics for tonight. We shift gears for a couple of moments and talk about the game of golf. Now, we've talked a lot about golf the last week. And with the merger of the PGA Tour, the DP Tour, and the Public Invest Fund, we had a lot of questions last week. Why would the PGA Tour do this now with Liv struggling in so many areas? 
One of the great quotes from last week was, why would the PGA Tour throw Live Golf a life jacket? They gave them new life. Now, as we've heard, the PGA Tour is not merging with Live Golf. They are merging with where all the money comes from for that tour, the public invest fund put together by the Saudis. So the question was, why now? Why would you jump on board with the public investment fund when things are not going well for Live Golf? Well, it seems like we are getting more answers the further we get away from that initial announcement last week. PGA Tour Commissioner Jane Monahan met employees of the PGA Tour on Thursday. And he told those individuals that the PGA Tour couldn't financially afford to keep spending tens of millions of dollars in its legal fight against Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. You can't keep going with those lawyer bills as you continue to dip into your reserve fund to increase some of the money up for grabs in PGA Tour events. I mean, they took a lot of money out of reserves and put it into the funds for these golf tournaments. Monahan told those employees that the financial model from the last two years was not sustainable while fighting that Saudi fund, which reportedly has $620 billion in assets. That's billions with a B. According to the Wall Street Journal, Monahan told employees, quote, we cannot compete with a foreign government with unlimited money. This was the time we waited to be in the strongest possible position to get the deal in place. End quote. According to the report in the Wall Street Journal, Monahan had told the employees the tour had already spent $50 million in legal fees and had taken $100 million from its reserve fund to help pay increased purses in elevated events or those designated events and also bonuses to players. So you can kind of see why when you're fighting $620 billion dollars Those legal fees are just going to continue to rack up. It's going to be chump change for the Saudis, but a big deal for the PGA Tour as they were really eating into the reserve fund. The PGA Tour spokesman told ESPN that the tour had probably spent, quote, tens of millions of dollars on lawyers while fighting Live Golf's federal antitrust lawsuit and defending itself in an antitrust investigation by the U.S. Department of justice. Now, the new agreement between PIF and the PGA Tour, all of those legal situations go away. A source told ESPN it might have cost the PGA Tour more than $100 million in legal fees to continue to go down that path. So rather than fighting the $620 billion, You become partners with the people that have $620 billion. Now, the Wall Street Journal reported that Monaghan said during the meeting with tour players last week, he had been asked how would he explain the new alliance to his own daughters given 
the Saudi Arabian monarch's treatment of women. The report said Monaghan mentioned his daughters by name and paused, quote, I understand all the human rights concerns. I've had them myself, end quote. But it did not stop Monaghan and the PGA Tour going down that path. So here we are. We're not quite sure how everything's going to play out next year on the PGA Tour. What the impact will be of that Saudi money now being involved in the PGA Tour and more so in the game of golf. PGA Tour continues to say you're not going to notice many changes. Maybe it'll occur down the line we'll see some changes, but it appears next year will go on. And if you didn't know that there was a merger... You wouldn't notice it. Now, the Live Golf might go away. There are some people saying it still might continue. What I'm curious is, well, Brooks Kepka and all those individuals that are a part of Live Golf, do they have to play in Live Golf events if it continues? It'd just be good if that goes away. We don't need Live Golf. The PGA Tour can provide everything we want as a consumer of golf. And after such... An incredibly rough PR week last week for the PGA Tour. Now, a lot of it they created themselves, but after a really rough week, it was cool to see the last couple of hours of Sunday's Canadian Open on CBS was dramatic TV, including the playoff between Tommy Fleetwood and Canadian Nick Taylor. It had been 69 years since a Canadian had won their own national championship. Taylor finished strong, got into a playoff with Fleetwood. They both had some pretty good punches in the playoff. Playoff went to four holes, and then Taylor, in just Hollywood script form, drains a 72-foot eagle putt to become the first Canadian to win the Canadian Open since 1954. The longest putt he had ever made in his PGA Tour career, 14 feet longer than any putt that was made during the four rounds of the Canadian Open last weekend. It was simply fantastic. I'm wondering, is that the longest putt ever made to win a PGA Tour event? If not, I'd like to see the one that beat it because that was spectacular. The celebration of the Canadian fans watching one of their own in the streak of 69 years. Nick Taylor, what a great, great week. He started in 120th place after the first round and came all the way back. Not only made the cut, but he won the Canadian Open Championship. Finally, some positive fun news for the PGA Tour after some rough, rough moments last week. That's our hat trick of opening topics. It is 536. I'm Darren Pritchett coming up in a couple of moments. We want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy a few comments from the new Notre Dame athletic director, Pete Bavacqua. He will take over for Jack Swarbrick early next year. And we go back to 2020, an interview that Jack did with Pete to provide us a little insight on who Pete Bavacqua is what NBC means to him, and the great love affair he has with the University of Notre Dame. I'm Darren Pritchett, Budweiser's weekday sports beat at 537 on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960.
WSP. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Ball caught, touchdown! What a catch on the three-yard line by Jaden Thomas. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Caught on the one-yard line and into the end zone. Tobias Merriweather, first catch of his Notre Dame career, goes for a touchdown from 41 yards out. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Setting up Estime over the middle, 25-20. He'll score. 10-5. Touchdown, Notre Dame. It is 18 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Sports Beat continues on this Monday evening. Brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by our good friends at United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's, the family inn. By Bethel University, adult and graduate studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. And by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. Darren Pritchett with you. And we're going to spend a couple of moments allowing you to hear from the guy that will become the new athletic director at the University of Notre Dame in early 2024, Pete Bavacqua, who'll be taking over for Jack Swarbrick, 15 years in the big chair at the University of Notre Dame. Now, back in 2020, Mr. Swarbrick was involved in some interviews that were put together by Fighting Irish Media, and one of his guests in that series of interviews back in 2020 was Pete Bavacqua from the NBC Sports Group. Those two have known each other for a good amount of time, worked together on the Notre Dame NBC arrangement, and now Pete will be replacing Jack in early 2024 as AD. And, of course, Pete, a walk-on to the Notre Dame football team and an alumnus of the University of Notre Dame. First off, from this Fighting Irish Media production back in 2020, Mr. Swarbrick asked Pete Bavacqua about his thoughts on the relationship between Notre Dame and NBC. I, it's, you know, I think about when I was a student here at Notre Dame is really when the NBC partnership started. So I, I enjoyed it as a student and thinking, oh my gosh, isn't this wonderful? Notre Dame has its own television network and NBC and NBC Sports. And I think it was really just a great step forward for, for both entities. And I think there's such a level of trust. And I think back, Jack, to a year ago when you came and visited us with your team and you said, hey, I really want NBC to push the envelope take some chances because we know you're not going to let us down. We trust you. You trust us. And I think that's how I would define this partnership. It's really built on trust. And those are the best types of relationships in business. And really interesting to hear Pete mention that Mr. Swarbrick and his Notre Dame team offered NBC the opportunity to think outside of the box, be creative, do some things maybe you don't normally do. And I was thinking, well, what have they done? And, and a couple of things come to mind. The first is obvious, and this is something that is going to become, I think, the norm across professional and college sports, the use of streaming services. You're going to see a lot of Big Ten football and basketball games 
that are going to be on the Peacock streaming service. And, of course, kind of leading the way in this surge was when Notre Dame had decided to put one of those games on Peacock. I should say NBC and Notre Dame decided to make that move. One home game going on Peacock. It's happened a couple of times. I think the first time a lot of people complained about some technical issues. I don't think it went as poorly the next time. And this year we've got the Central Michigan at Notre Dame football game, which will be the standalone game on the Peacock streaming service. And the other thing that comes to mind, and I just can't recall which year this was, this had to have been pre-COVID because when I was hosting the Notre Dame football post-game show that turned into the Brian Kelly show each week, that was in 18 and 19, so it had to be one of these two years. I just remember coming into the studio before the Notre Dame football game started And the set that we normally have was pushed aside because they were doing sort of a simulcast, like basically the the Peyton Manning, Eli Manning game on Monday Night Football where you have the game, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman on the call on ESPN. ESPN2 has the Manning cast. Notre Dame had one of those games. I don't remember which one it was, but it had to have been one of those two years where there were two or three individuals sitting around talking about the game and offering a different way of watching the Notre Dame football game. I'm sure there are more examples, but those are two of the -the out-of-the-box ideas that I think came from Mr. Schwarbrick and his team saying, hey, let's be creative. Let's see what we can do with this Notre Dame-NBC partnership. Also from this Fighting Irish media production back in 2020, Jack Schwarbrick interviewing Pete Bavacqua who is becoming his replacement as AD in early 2024. This is Pete describing his entity, and that is NBC and the power of the NBC brand. I had the opportunity to go to work for one of the great iconic brands, NBC, NBC Sports. And yet, if we're not progressive and smart, we're going to wake up in a couple of years and feel like we own the corner record store. That's going to keep me on my toes. That's the challenge I need. You're coming to a business with one of the richest traditions and clearest identities. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of it built around the Olympics, now Sunday night football. Yeah. Part of that's the property, but part of that is NBC has always brought this remarkable storytelling capability. And you're operating it in the most dynamic possible industry. Everything's changing. Everything's changing. How do you marry those two things? How does that work? Well, I think it goes back to that storytelling. I think it is what separates us. And everything is changing in the industry. But sports is so special because it's kind of, it it continues to, to rise above the noise. And in a world where you're consumed with watching things when you want to and, and how often you want to and in your own schedule, you're going to watch this game today at 2.30. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of sports. It's still what you need to watch and you need to watch it live. And what I love about NBC and what really allows us to separate ourselves is something called Symphony. And that was a creation, Steve Burke. And Steve said, you know, we have to take the entire NBC Universal portfolio and put it to work. So when we're heading into Tokyo for the Olympics, 
all of NBC Universal will be behind the Olympics. You'll hear about the Olympics, not just on NBC Sports or NBC Sports Network or on the Golf Channel, but on the Today Show. References in our dramas, skits in Saturday Night Live, uh, uh, rides in, our, in Universal Parks. And when you can put the entire weight and power of NBC Universal and then layer on top of it Comcast and the amount and the percentage of individuals we can touch mm-hmm. and put a, put a directed message behind that, I think that's really what separates us from others. And that is a very orchestrated approach that has proven to work over and over and over again. I think they could have created a roller coaster ride after the Notre Dame football season last year with the injury to Tyler Buckner playing a tough game against Ohio State, then losing to Marshall and Stanford, and then coming back and playing good football after that, losing to USC, then the dramatic game against South Carolina. That definitely could have been a ride, a heck of a roller coaster ride at an amusement park. But I, I get what Pete was saying there, NBC doing all they can to promote all their entities. And I think there is, if Notre Dame ever feels like they can get more money out of some other network, and I would imagine the NBC-Notre Dame partnership is going to continue. This is more hypothetical than anything else. But another organization that does a really good job of what Pete is talking about is ESPN. They do a great job of taking games that are going to be on their network and, for the lack of a better phrase, shoving it down our throat by mentioning it a lot on SportsCenter. Or how many times is it so frustrating if you're watching a Notre Dame basketball game on ESPN, but it's a couple of days from the Duke-North Carolina basketball game, and oftentimes the announcers will kind of walk away from the Notre Dame game and they'll spend time talking about the keys to the Duke-North Carolina game, who's going to win. And, oh, by the way, the Notre Dame basketball game is still taking place. So ESPN does a really strong job of that as well. And if there was ever a day in which Notre Dame home games are on ESPN, you probably would get a big, big push on ESPN compared to maybe what we've even seen on NBC. It's not like Notre NBC interrupts Sunday Night Football in a similar instance to talk about the next Notre Dame football game. It's usually kind of the other way around. The the pro sport gets the big, big push. But it is interesting to hear Pete talk about, again, that conversation from 2020 and the different ways that NBC would promote, for example, the Olympics. I don't think we saw that as much with Notre Dame football, obviously, but you definitely understand what he was talking about with the Olympics. Finally, from this Fighting Irish Media production in 2020, Jack Swarbrick interviewing Pete Bavacqua, then of the NBC Sports Group. I mentioned Pete graduated from Notre Dame, part of the football team. He has a great passion for this institution, and that was on display as Jack asked him about his love affair for the University of Notre Dame. Again, this is the guy that will be your AD next year, Pete Bavacqua. Well, for me, it goes back to my father and childhood and what this university has meant to me truly and literally for as long as I can remember. You know, Notre Dame, it was all about Notre Dame. It was the purity of Notre Dame and what Notre Dame stands for and how Notre Dame is kind of a constant. And it's always been a constant in my life. 
I mean, I grew up knowing this is where I was going to go to school. It was the only school I applied to. And people said, well, did it live up to your expectations? And it far exceeded them. And I, I, I had these conversations. I had a group of roommates, four roommates, so the five of us. And we're, we're always constantly amazed at the impact four years here can have on you. And if you divide your life into four-year segments, you have a lot of four-year segments, yeah. more and more as you get older and older. But the power of these four years is, is like, like you can't even describe it. And you, as busy as you are and whatever your problems might be and everybody has issues and problems and you're dealing with things, you're like, when you come onto this campus, it's just, it transforms you. And, you know, I don't want it to sound overly simplistic, but there's, there's a wholesomeness to this place. And nobody's perfect. No institution is perfect. But this is about as close to perfect as anything gets. And it's just, it's uplifting. There's an energy here. And I actually think the importance of Notre Dame, unlike just about any other academic institution or university, and I tell this to, to kids and, and people that call me and thinking about going to Notre Dame, the importance of it and your connection to it increases yes. as you get older. Mm -hmm. And that's rare. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I remember meeting somebody, uh, a person I admire, and we were having a conversation, and I connected myself to Notre Dame. And he goes, he goes, one of the great things in life, he goes, anybody who goes to Notre Dame, you know about it usually within the first 90 seconds <laughs> you've met them. And people are proud of this yeah. university. And I, I just, I, I can't say enough about it. And I think about my three children and the hope that they can maybe share in this experience. But I, I just I just feel it's one of these truly special, great places in the world. And it's been, for me, it connects me to my father, my family, all those memories of coming here. And I just pinch myself every time I come back. And now, as, as you said, to be able to combine other than my family, the thing I love most, Notre Dame, with what I do for uh, a living is, is, is really, really special. I can think of a time in which Notre Dame hockey was spending a lot more time on commercial flights than chartering. And any time that we traveled through an airport, we always had our Notre Dame hockey gear on, not uniform, but you know what I mean, sweatshirts, sweatsuits, whatever the case may be. And if someone graduated from Notre Dame or had a family member that went to Notre Dame, even though they had no idea any of the names of the players or maybe who even Jeff Jackson was, so many times you get stopped and say, hey, my grandson or my uncle or my grandfather went to Notre Dame. And they want to tell you a story about the time that their family member spent at the University of Notre Dame. And it's all over the country, no matter what airport we're in, it happened, it seemed like at least one time every time walking through the airport. And that was Pete Pavacqua, your future Notre Dame athletic director. Again, that was from the Fighting Irish Media Productions in 2020. You can find the entire 22-minute interview on YouTube if you just go into the search and type in Jack Swarbrick and Pete Pavacqua. It should come up for you. Really, really good interview and a little glimpse of the guy that will be your new AD very, very soon. 5.57 is our time. We've got to take a break. More sports beat coming up in a couple of moments on your home of the Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. There's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 
WSBT. Second hour, Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Monday evening. Darren Pritchett with you. Eight minutes after six o'clock and away we go in the second hour. And we begin with our Twitter question of the day. I hope you follow me on Twitter at 960sportsbeat. Each weekday, I post a Twitter question of the day and ask for you to vote on our question. If you have an opinion, a thought, you can always reply to that post. Always appreciate your comments. On Friday's program, this is what you were voting on. And it's centered around Notre Dame football. Of these choices, what is the next step to help Notre Dame football win a national championship? Now, we could list probably 20 things. I tried to narrow it down as best as I could to the four choices allowed on Twitter. One person pointed out two of those probably are in the same conversation. I could see that. So here we go. Here were your choices. Renovate, redo the Goog. Greater NIL opportunities. Just better players. Or join the Big Ten. So of these choices, what is the next step to help Notre Dame football win a national championship? Here's how you voted. Independence is the way to go because in fourth place in the voting, joining the Big Ten got 4.8% of the vote. Not surprised by that. Coming in third place in the voting. Now, I'm really surprised this was farther down the list. But renovate, redo the goo. Now, the argument against with what I just said probably is this. Players are not going to come or not come to Notre Dame because of a dining room deficiency in the goo. They're going to come here for the 40-year plan. The ability to play Notre Dame football. Play their home games at Notre Dame Stadium. Get a great education. The list goes on and on. So I'm probably arguing against myself. I just thought this would get a little more love because you want the players to have the best of everything. That's a part of being with the Notre Dame Athletics. But you voted 11.9%. Renovate, redoing the Gook is the next step for the Fighting Irish in trying to win a national championship. Second place in the voting. 40.5% said we just need better football players. I probably could have gone a little more specific with that and said more marquee players. I don't want to say five-star because the star system is not my favorite system. But more elite marquee players, the Keon Keeleys. The CJ Cars. So better players got 40.5%, but winning the vote at 42.9%, better NIL opportunities. I think there is a feeling amongst Irish fans that 
it's tough for Notre Dame to compete in some of those NIL situations. If you put together better players and better NIL opportunities, which one person said, hey, this is kind of the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, I guess you could argue that. Those two alone got 83.4% of the vote. So we thank you for voting. Greatly appreciate it. Now we have today's question ready to go. And it's gotten a lot of love so far. So here we go. Which stat of former Notre Dame quarterbacks best simulates Sam Hartman's numbers in 2023? So simply put, I took four quarterbacks from past seasons. I try to come up with some different numbers to give you some options. So which stat line of former Notre Dame quarterbacks best simulates what Sam Hartman's numbers will look like in 2023? So here are your four choices. Choice number one, we go back to 2005. Brady Quinn's second season as starting quarterback for the Fighting Irish. And that season in 2005, Quinn completed 64.9% of his throws, 32 touchdown passes, 7 interceptions. Your second stat line to choose from, 2009, Jimmy Clausen, his best season at Notre Dame. A completion percentage of 68%. 28 touchdown strikes, only four interceptions for Clawson. Choice number three as we try to come up with a former Notre Dame quarterback stat line that best simulates Sam Hartman's numbers in 2023. Your third choice, 2019, Ian Book. 60.2% completion rate. 34 touchdown passes, six interceptions. And your fourth and final choice, 2013. We thought he was going to call the plays for Sam Hartman. But in 2013, Tommy Reese was your guy. He completed 54.1%, 27 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Now, why did I put Reese in there? Only for one reason. Sam Hartman had 12 interceptions thrown last year. Now, the other three I gave you, Quinn had seven, Clawson four, Book six. So I went with a guy that had a few more interceptions, and that's Tommy Reese, the guy who yelled at his quarterbacks and got red-faced. Yeah, he had 13 picks his, his 2013 campaign. wonder how many times he got yelled at. Oh, yeah, the head coach might have taught him how to do that way back when. So there you go. Which stat line of a former Notre Dame quarterback best simulates Sam Hartman's numbers in 2023? Again, you can vote for 2005 Brady Quinn, 64.9%, 32 touchdowns, 7 picks. 2009 Jimmy Clausen, Completed 68% of his throws, 28 touchdown strikes, four interceptions. Ian Book in 2019, 60% completion percentage, 34 touchdown passes, six interceptions. 
And 2013, Tommy Reese, 54%, 27 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. You can cast your vote, offer a thought right now on my Twitter account at 960-SPORTSPEED. And I'll tell you right now, two guys have accumulated about 83% of the vote in the early stages. The other two are not getting a lot of love at this particular time. You can go online and vote. We'll talk more about it on tomorrow's program. 616 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Sports be brought to you by Budweiser, Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, and Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Coming up next, who are the big winners of the weekend? I'll tell you next in the My Five. And still to come, some comments from Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze. How's that Bears offense looking? What about Justin Fields? And some thoughts on two Notre Dame guys. Is Chase Claypool more comfortable this year and the impact of Cole Komet last season? That's on the way. 617 Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. 621 is your time on this Monday evening. The My Five tonight. The five biggest winners of the weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. Let's start with some college baseball. Within Notre Dame's conference, the old Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC, as the number one team of the country, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. And Wake Forest advanced to the College World Series for the first time in 68 years. Wake Forest swept Alabama in the Super Regional, including winning game two in dominating fashion 22 to 5. The last time Wake Forest appeared in the College World Series, 1955, and they won the national championship. Wake Forest is the number one overall seed in the NCAA baseball tournament, and they validated their standing. They're off to Omaha for the first time in 68 years. Four! Another top winner from the weekend. More history being made. Novak Djokovic won the French Open Men's Singles Championship by defeating Casper Rudd for Djokovic. His 23rd major championship victory, breaking a tie with Rafael Nadal for the most wins in men's tennis history. I believe he's also beaten 12 different individuals which is pretty remarkable. Next up for Djokovic, as he tries to add number 24, you've got Wimbledon. I believe he's won that four consecutive years. Okay, okay. Uh, Number three. The top wins of the weekend. We go to Nick Taylor, who won the PGA Tours Canadian Open. Entering the final round, 10 players were within four shots of the third-round leader, C.T. Pan. Nick Taylor was not one of them. He started at minus 11, three shots off the pace, but carded a final round 66 and got into a playoff 
with Tommy Fleetwood, who is looking for his first ever PGA Tour victory. He's won around the world, but has been unable to win on the PGA Tour. Well, these two players had a wonderful playoff that went to the fourth playoff hole, and Nick Taylor drained a 72-foot eagle putt to become the first Canadian to win Canada's national championship since 1954. It had been 69 years since a Canadian had won their national championship, and what a way to do it. A 72-foot eagle putt. He left the pin in on this long putt, and that ball went right into the middle of the cup, setting off a massive celebration at the golf course and across Canada. They've been waiting for this for an extremely long time. Mike Weir in 2004, the great lefty from Canada, nearly won his national championship, edged out by VJ Singh, but Taylor got it done. Adam Hadwin, one of his good friends, PGA Tour player from Canada, had champagne flowing on the green. A security guard didn't know who he was and tackled him like Ray Lewis used to take down a running back. It was a hard hit. Oops, but Hadwin jumped up and started celebrating once again with his good friend Nick Taylor, who won the Canadian Open, first Canadian to win it in 69 years. Number two. Another top winner of the weekend, sharing this spot at number two, the Denver Nuggets and the Vegas Golden Knights. Both of these teams lead their respective championship series three games to one. The Nuggets on Friday picked up a key game four road win, downing the Heat 108-95. Aaron Gordon, 27 points. The other joker from Serbia, Nikola Jokic, 27 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists. Game 5 is in the Mile High City tonight. A clinching opportunity for the Nuggets at 8.30. They have never won an NBA championship. They've got three shots at it starting tonight at home against Miami. And you've got the Golden Knights who turned back the Florida Panthers in Miami Saturday night 3-2, and the Knights have a three-games-to-one series lead. Game five is tomorrow night at 8 o'clock in Vegas, like they need another reason to party in Vegas. I believe this is the Golden Knights' sixth season, and they've got a chance to win a Stanley Cup. They made it in 2019 losing to Alexander Ovechkin of the Washington Capitals, but now the Knights are in control. They've got three shots to win the Cup, two on home ice, including tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Number one. And the number one winners of the weekend, we go to the softball diamond. New Prairie and Penn winning softball state championships for New Prairie. It's their first state championship in school history. Congratulations, ladies. The Cougars defeated Tri-West Hendricks 4-2. Michaela Collins smacked a solo home run in the first inning. Emily Rosinski drove in a pair of runs for New Prairie. And Ava Geyer threw a complete game, striking out nine New Prairie 3A state champions. And in 4A, the Penn Kingsman pulled off a huge upset 
Not that they are not any good. It's because the team they were playing were two-time defending state champions and heavy favorites to do it again. But Penn said, not so fast, my friend. The Lady Kingsman knocked off Ron Colley in nine innings, two to one. Ron Colley tied it in the bottom of the seventh with a home run. They loaded the bases, couldn't win it. And then in the ninth inning, Ava Zachary let off that frame with a triple and would score in a wild pitch. Penn shut the door from there, and the Kingsman took down two-time defending state champion Ron Colley in nine innings, 2-1, to one, their first softball title since 1999. So we talked about history a lot in this My Five. Wake Forest to the College World Series for the first time since 1955. Novak Djokovic set the record for men's singles titles in majors with 24, or Grand Slams, not golf. That's majors. Grand Slams. You've got Nick Taylor becoming the first Canadian to win the Canadian Open in 69 years, 1954. The Nuggets have a chance for their first NBA title. The Knights have a chance for their first NHL title. New Prairie, their first state title. And Penn, first softball title since 1999. That's the My 5 629 Bears football talk next on WSBT. You don't know how to play first base. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, watch. It's incredibly hard. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Every time you play one off your hips, you owe me 40 sit-ups. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey, you guys. Don't throw me anything. My girlfriend put a curse on my glove. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. You lollygag the ball around the end. You know what that makes you. Hurry. Are you hungry? Enjoy award-winning jumbo wings, awesome appetizers, delicious burgers, and a great selection of ice-cold beer at a Wings Etc. Grill and Pub location near you. My name is Darren Pritchett, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com, and on our free WSBT Radio app, a video feed right now on the Twitch app. Going to spend a couple of moments on the Chicago Bears. Chicago went 3-14 and last season, number one pick of the draft. They traded that to Carolina, dropped down to nine, eventually moved down to number 10 to take a right tackle from Tennessee. But the Bears last year, they gave up the most points in the NFL, 463, and their offense in the NFC, the third fewest points. The Rams, boy, they fell off quickly with all the injuries, 307 points. Washington, 321. And the Bears, third from the bottom in the NFC, scoring 326 points. It was the first season for Luke Getze as the Bears' offensive coordinator. He came over from the rival Green Bay Packers, and last year he was working with a second-year quarterback in the National Football League in Justin Fields. Getze, with OTAs going on last week in Chicago, was asked the biggest difference he's seeing right now in his offense compared to where they were last year at this time. This group was learning a brand new offense. Oh, there's a ton. I mean, geez, you talk, I mean, you could just probably take the protection game in, in, in the beginning part of it, right? This, the, the how quickly the guys are adjusting because the defense has given us looks that we're not preparing for, right? So usually going to game and you're preparing for particular fronts, particular pressures, particular whatever. Like, 
and and so we we're just trying to play by our rules and we're trying to to learn the reason why and then react the way that we need to accordingly and so those guys um seeing how how quickly they're responding from where they were last year has been really good and and then just the way that our meetings go, right? If you talk about just the, the conversations that we have in the meetings as opposed to talking about, you know, why this concept's named what it is, we're talking about the details of uh, and diving deeper into what it is. And so, you know, those two things are probably the two things that stand out. Also last year at this time, I think everybody, whether it be a media member or a bear fan, there was a lot of concern, okay, if Justin Fields is going to be our guy, and we're going to groom him, doesn't he need better wide-receiving targets? And you would have to think they're in a little better shape than they were last year. It's going to be interesting to see how Notre Dame's Chase Claypool fits into this offense, getting a full year under his belt, traded from the Steelers to the Bears during midseason last year. It just didn't click right away, or really throughout his tenure in Chicago last year, maybe an offseason, OTAs, fall camp, Claypool can make it work, and be a part of this Chicago Bears offense. That would be a big boost at the wide receiver position. But all eyes are on Justin Fields. What is he going to look like in his third season in the National Football League? A 1,000 rushing yards last year. Some of those rushing yards might be transferred into passing yards this year. Here is offensive coordinator Luke Getze on what he wants to see right now from his third-year quarterback out of Ohio State, Justin Fields. Uh, I mean, there's nothing in particular. It's just that same growth. You know what I mean? It, it's it has to be continued growth. I mean, that's a better way to say it. Um, uh, with, and the, the command of everything that we're doing, the, the way that he's calling plays, the way that he's commanding guys, the way that we're throwing routes on air and having communication with his expectation of where they should be when they're supposed to be there. Uh, all that stuff. I just want to we want to just keep continuing to grow together and get this thing, uh, you know, primed and ready to roll so that July is, is we're, we're hitting it running. Is that command and that like leadership? Is that is that a new step? Is that does it come with more confidence this year for him? It's, it's not a new step, but it's a, a different level of the, that continued growth, right? He's got to take it. He's got every every opportunity we get, we got to ramp it up, and uh, I think we all see that out there from him and. I think it's for him. It's always been like an obvious thing. He works as hard as anybody that's out there. So the work ethic leads the example. And I think, uh, you know, since we've all been together over a year now, I think that his command and you know the communication part has continued to get better and better. That is Luke Getze, Bears offensive coordinator, running a little short on time. I'm not going to get to the Claypool and Comet sound bites from Getze. We will use that tomorrow in our hat trick of opening topics to start tomorrow's program. But we're up against the clock, so let me sneak in this. And Getsy was asked, are you teaching Fields when to run, when to continue to go through his progressions? Yeah, I think the running part of it, most of that is a, is a natural thing once you're, once you're in the moment. But decision-making, we're working on every single day. Timing and rhythm, we're working on every single day. So, And then lastly, the situation that you're in. And so putting that all together, you're just increasing the, the, the football IQ so that you know better when to take those opportunities and when not to, you know, because th there's plenty of times on film that he shouldn't do it. And even though it worked out for us in the long run, there's a better, there, there's, you know, there's a better decision. There's a better way. And then there's times that I could sit there and coach and say, you should do this, but then his instincts tell him to do something and we have to trust that too. So... I by no means will ever make that guy robotic, 
I don't believe in doing that with any player. Um, and I think that, uh, but there's a way to refine it all and make, you know, improve our decision making and trusting our timing and rhythm, and we'll take it from there. That's Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze, 6:43 at WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 